The views expressed on this show by guests and the host on issues outside of the 9-11 controlled demolition evidence are the opinions of those individuals alone and do not necessarily reflect those of architects and engineers for 9-11 truth. Welcome to 9-11 Freefall. I'm the host, Andy Steele. Today we're joined by Ian Henshaw. He's an activist and he's an author from the United Kingdom. And he's been working on a new 9-11 investigation for a very long time, I just found out. We're going to be learning more about him today and uh, his books and everything that he is doing right now to try to get awareness for the inquest that Matt Campbell is pursuing into the death of his brother Jeff on September 11th. He actually appears in The Unspeakable, Ian does. We'll be getting into that as well. But let's welcome him into the stream here. Ian, all the Hi. way from across the pond. Thank yeah. you for coming on 9-11 Freefall. <laughs> Thank you. So let's get into it. One of the most common questions that I ask our guests when they come on this show, and this is the first time you've ever been on this show, believe it or not. I can't believe we haven't had you before. But one of the most common questions I wanna hear is your origin story with this activism. Tell us where you were on the day of September 11th when you heard the news, and how did you get into questioning the official story of what happened in New York and the other elements of 9-11 that you have draw, shined a spotlight on? Sure. Well, I was in my coffee shop um, doing a stock take and I and people were coming in saying, oh, you know, there's another plane hit the towers and another one heading for uh, Washington, they thought, Flight 93. Um, that was that day, you know, it was, it's, it's a lot happened on that day uh, that, you know, we, we sometimes think happened later, but it didn't. They, everybody was very well aware of the mystery of Flight 993, even on the mainstream news. In fact, the mainstream news that day, as you know, Andy, were, they were at their most truthful before the editors managed to get in and say, no, no, there can't have been a demolition, you know, and it was, and the censorship sort of came down a couple of days later. Um, but I, I sort of thought, well, I'll just keep an open mind on this because as a sort of freelance alternative journalist, I, I was well aware of, you know, what the intelligence people were inevitably going to be involved in this somehow or other, just because it was al blamed on Al-Qaeda. Um, so that meant the CIA, they, they're responsible for foreign intelligence. And everybody knows if the CIA are around, you know, this can be all sorts of shenanigans and dodgy things. But um, I don't think I really thought on day one that you know there was a controlled demolition necessarily you know but gradually you know you get things by email and even within a few days people were sending out emails saying you know steel frame buildings don't collapse like this uh there's something wrong here um and you know a, a lot of people were i think a lot of people sort of moved on they gave up they just thought well uh you know you, you, that nobody's going to listen to us so we've tried talking to the public let's just get on with something else 
But I think, you know, it's worth plugging away at things because in, I, the way I see it is we're a sort of small contingent of the greater peace movement, you know, who stand against militarism and war. And it was quite obvious from day one that despite the Bush regime, you know, saying that they wanted peace or suggesting sounding sort of conciliatory, it was clear that they were going to go and it was going to change attitudes for years uh, in favour of war-like solutions to America's many problems and, and, and the many problems on the planet. Uh, so I sort of got going quite early, really. Um, I'd also, you know, due to my history, I'd, I'd been, I was aware of, you know, the CIA particularly as being... Um, you know, dodgy. I don't know if you remember the Chilean coup. Uh, there was a coup in Chile when a democratic government was overthrown uh, and replaced by a military dictatorship. And that that was organised by the CIA. But, you know, they never admitted it. For years and years, they never admitted it. They have admitted it now. Um, it generally takes some, it'll, you know, it'll probably take another 10 or 20 years um, before they finally admit the truth about 9-11 but the fact is that the more we go on about it the more they you know it's a nuisance for them now having to sort of renew the propaganda um, they've got other propaganda they want to tell us that ukraine's you know going to attack us or something like that i can't remember what the latest lies about that are um so yeah you know controlled demolition it was you know initially they said oh, well, there's 50,000 people working in those buildings or 100,000 or something. So it really was quite a shock, you know, the idea that so many people might die. Of course, it was a shock anyway and a tragedy. Um, but, um, you know, it was, it sort of blew you away a bit. I remember that night in the pub um, when having a drink and there was some friends of mine who we went swimming together. They weren't political. But I remember one guy said, um, somehow... I've got the feeling that if Bill Clinton was still president, this wouldn't have happened. And I thought that was, you know, that really grabbed me because I, that's, he had his finger on it, even though he wasn't political at all. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, I was just telling somebody this story the other day. I remember after September 11th, it might've been a day or two after that, uh, I got one of those emails talking about controlled demolition and where I was at in my mind and how politically aware I was at that time, which was zero. Uh, I just said, well, the conspiracy theorists aren't wasting time with this one and politely deleted it. Now I would love to have that email back. We'll take a closer look. Some military person talking about it. There was Something a guy called Top early. View. There was a guy called Top View. And I'd, I think I found out who he was and he died in a car crash. Um, but he said, I forget his name now, Ron something, I forget his name, but he sent out very apt and apposite emails, you know, about it and how he got his list, how he got my email, I have no idea, you know, um, but uh, I'd, I'd like to hear the story of Top View because he did a lot to waken up a lot of people um, with his emails. And yeah, you know, you know, there's going to be theories whatever happens, there's going to be somebody saying it's all a conspiracy, there's going to be somebody else saying it can't possibly be a conspiracy. And, you know, I think people who are grown up know that you've just got to look at the facts and, and, and you've got to be scientific about it, really. You know, you've just got to think, 
And if you know, I don't, I don't know much about controlled demolition, but you know, you can find out find out people and talk to them. Funnily enough, we we not long not that long after, we uh, had some work done in our house, and there was an engineer, a structural engineer, came in to make sure that you know all the it was it wasn't going to fall down. Um, and I remember saying to him, you know, well, actually, you know, I, I, I'm a 9-11 truther, you know, I, I don't really believe the story. And he said, oh, yeah, neither do I. You know, and that was just a random guy, you know. Um, so it's, it's not difficult to find out the truth if you want to find it out. Yeah, I love those casual uh, affirmations that people give. I remember standing in a bathroom at the sink with another guy talking about this and a guy comes out of the toilet stall he's like you guys talking about 9-11 oh yeah that was an inside job and all of this and mm -hmm. it's kind of a weird uh moment of, of, of communion with all three of us three strangers but something you said that was interesting uh was about in the early moments or in the early first few days of september 11th you're getting more truthful reporting going on i remember watching an interview uh, that Peter Jennings, he's passed away now for a number of years, but he was the anchor on ABC News. Uh, this was on the day of September 11th. It was in the evening that this happened, and they talked to somebody, some kind of engineer. I should dig that up and play that on the show here, um, where Peter Jennings has sort of like a curiosity in his voice asking about Building 7. He's something, he says something to the effect of, you know, have we got a handle on why the third one went down today? And you can sort of hear a suspicion in his voice. I'm not going to say definitively that he was suspicious, but it's just what I perceived. It's speculation on my part. Um, but uh, but you can tell there was some curiosity there. And then as far as I know, he never spoke about it again. Uh, but you do get more honest reporting because I don't think that the reporters are being handed the scripts as thoroughly during the heat of the moment like that. I, I think when you had Jane Stanley standing there in front of Building 7 on the BBC, and she's reporting that it had already gone down. I don't think Jane Stanley is on in on anything. I think that she's being handed a script, and she's on there reading the news. Um, yeah. You know, and then they lose the feed right before it actually does go down on that day. But then after a while, after you start to see people out there raising very reasonable questions about the fall of the towers, about other elements of 9-11, that's when you start to see the propaganda set in, which is interesting to me because you've got two books uh, that you have published on the subject, and uh, apparently the Daily Mail even did some kind of review on it uh, oh, yeah, huge. when they came out. Now, you were out there early, too, <clears throat> questioning this, before like I even knew there was a 9-11 truth movement, before it even really had any legs. Uh, talk about that, about being one of the first people to hit the barbed wire on this subject. And also, well, it's, uh, it's been an you know, education. What you was know. your experience getting that into the Daily Mail? Because that seems like a pretty mainstream source to be covering topics like that so early on, only a few years after the event happened. Yeah, well, um, there's a lady who works at the Daily Mail. The Daily Mail, like a lot of newspapers, is a very complex coalition you know, and they've got some of the worst and most horrible people writing for them on the planet. But also they've got some, you know, oddball people. I hope she wouldn't mind me calling her oddball. Sue Reed. Um, you know, she's basically somebody who, uh, you know, follows all these issues. And um, I'm pretty sure it was through her, although I didn't know her at the time. Um but, uh, you know, our book came out and um, Roland Morgan and I wrote our first book, 9-11 Revealed. 
and that was published by a reputable publisher called Constable. And so, you know, normally you would expect a book like that to be covered. And in a way, the surprise was that the other, the whole of the rest of the media took no notice at all. You know, there was this major, major article in the Daily Mail based on our book. Um, three pages of the newspaper were given up to this. Um, but even so, you know, Sky News, they were quite interested in following it up. But then they heard that I was anti-Blair and they said, oh, you know, we're, we're allies of Tony Blair, um, so we're not going to cover you. Uh, they won't admit to that now because that will be illegal um, under British media law, but that's what they said unofficially. Um, so I think at one point that strikes me, talking about just the very early days of the, the, the demolition and so on, is that I think initially people thought, the mainstream people thought, oh, well, it might have been demolished by Al-Qaeda putting bombs in the building. I remember a friend of mine who's uh, very much involved, you know, with the sort of security state. I think he's not, he's an innocent sort of guy. I wouldn't blame him for what the state gets up to, but he thinks like they do. And his immediate reaction was, oh yeah, well, it was brought down by bombs from Al-Qaeda. And there was, of course, this big academic at the University of New Mexico, I forget his name, I'll remember it in a minute, um, who was he said you know he went public he said i can see that is explosions based on the video that was a, definitely a controlled demolition um and then three days later he was saying no no it wasn't it was all a mistake and and my reading of that was that he was basically pitching for research money he was an expert you know a national expert on explosives um and he was pitching for research money thinking that it was al-qaeda and then somebody said to him, hey, guys, you know, Al-Qaeda couldn't have done that. You, you, we, it's, it can't have been Al-Qaeda. Then the story changed 100%. It's just fell spontaneously, just bad luck. Um, these things happen, which, of course, they don't happen. But um, that's what they say. Uh, so, you know, um, I think that was one reason behind the media being so frank about the explosions was that they just thought that maybe it was al-Qaeda doing it. Yeah, I mean, in the early days, again, you get the more honest reporting because a reporter who's out there on the streets talking to firefighters while this is going on isn't necessarily having the station or whoever is feeding the official story to her talking in their ear at the moment. They're trying to do their job. They don't know that there's going to be an official story to protect in the years that follow, which is why it's so interesting to me that you were so, I mean, just early in questioning this. I mean, those people are actually my heroes because it's, you know, it's one thing to kind of jump on board a movement a few years after it got started, but to actually be one of the first people to be saying, hey, look, there's a problem with this story, whatever aspect of it you start with first. I mean, I watched Building 7 fall on 9-11. On uh, I saw the Ashley Banfield feed. Uh, and I remember my roommate coming back in to the room and saying, what just happened? And I said, oh, they brought down the building to control the fire or something. I mean, there's not much logic in that statement. You can't just send a team in in an afternoon and no. bring down a building. But that is how a lot of people thought. They just kind of threw their logic to the side there and just assume that we were being told the real deal because there was some crazy stuff that was going on. For the first time, 
in my lifetime that we'd ever seen anything like this. I mean, for the first time in any of our lifetimes, something that just monopolized all the cable stations, I um, mean, all of the world's attention for a significant amount of time afterwards. And people were shell-shocked and they were just being fed what they were being told by the by the television set. And, and of course they were being told that we might- had more of an interest in getting to the bottom of what had just happened until there started getting a significant, uh, how do you say it, uh, momentum, energy behind actually having a new investigation done. And then all of a sudden it's like the media collectively around the world kind of fell in rank and started going after people who were raising very reasonable questions. So I wanna hear from your perspective. I mean, was it easier <clears throat> for instance, getting your book out. I mean, you can get your book at some major chains here, getting your book out, getting the Daily Mail to review it in those early days. And did you notice this shift that I've seen looking back at it historically? The shift from shock to uh, suspicion, you mean? Yeah, well, um, I, I think it was really just because I'd read about the, uh, you know, I, I, I knew a bit about politics and uh and i and i and i got the emails you know which which i think without those i mean i didn't know that steel frame buildings don't collapse um until i started getting emails about it uh, and i looked into it and found they were absolutely right um so I, why i was just always very suspicious of the media you know we we lied to all the time um by them and when you know i was i'm not i'm no spring chicken you know so even in 2001 i'd, I'd experienced being lied to as i mentioned the coup in chile you know that was one classic one where they denied it for years and you know um i, th I think if if you've ever given much thought to this you you come to realize that the media are basically controlled um not in the details but they're controlled in the big story that they pur purport to tell you um and if an article doesn't fit into the big story that they want the narrative they call it if it's something doesn't fit into the narrative you're not going to get published even if i mean here's an example robert fisk was one of the world's most respected journalists um he was an expert on the middle east and he refused for years to say anything about 9-11 he was, you know, when he did an article, it was on the front page of the independent newspaper. You know, he was he was really celebrated worldwide. And you can look up his obituaries. He died not that long ago. Um, and then he brought he had an article saying, well, there are these conspiracy theories, you know, about the collapse of the towers. But I'm not sure that they are necessarily conspiracy theorists. He said, even I doubt how the towers could have fallen in that way. Well, this is one of the world's top journalists. That article was relegated to right on the back page, right, you know, in the in the depths of, of the paper, um, whereas all these other articles were given, you know, great prominence. So that tells you what chance you've got, you know, even as a, a, a world's top journalist, the, the editors are the people who control what you see. The journalists are allowed to to say things, but only with the approval of the, of the of the editors, and they get to know what's going to be agreed and what's not. And every every journalist in the mainstream media would have told you a week after 9/11 that there will be no coverage 
if you start doubting this, maybe in a year or two, maybe in 20 years, but not now. Uh, and of course, once you lose the moment, then the story gets written and it takes a lot of work to undo that damage. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, what I've noticed, uh, well, first of all, just starting off with the media, I learned a lot by joining the 9-11 Truth Movement about the nature of how the media works. And maybe naively for years, I used to think like my local paper, the Utica, the Utica OD, you'd read about national stories, world events, and you just have this assumption, because you don't look at the byline, that there's local reporters there right in <laughs> the local vicinity writing about these things. But no, they're grabbing them from the Associated Press. They're grabbing them from the AFP, these sources. So what ends up happening is that these same stories are printed in local papers all around the country, and everybody's reading it from the exact same source. So they're right there as a, a means of control, because everyone's just kind of uh, you know using the, the main source's material to fill those sections up. But also, too, uh, what they've done with the internet now. I mean, the reason that we have a 9-11 truth movement and other uh, movements about other issues is because of the internet. I don't think that we would be anywhere close to where we are now if 9-11 had happened mm -hmm. back in 1985 or something and people like you and me and so many others around the world didn't have this opportunity to get together and, and compare notes I mean, we probably wouldn't have even uh, had video of Building 7 available. Somebody would have memory hold that one. Uh, this whole thing would have just gone down in history as the official story. There might have been like one or two people out there, maybe yourself, writing books about it. But it would have been hard to get the attention that it's gotten. And I can remember years ago, these warnings from other activists out on the Internet saying, <clears throat> they're going to try to censor the Internet. They're going to try to take everything off. And I took it seriously, but I was, I was trying to conceptualize this because the internet seems so vast and there's so much stuff out there at that time back in 2012. You could just type in 9-11 truth and you'd have all the standard videos plus whatever somebody added for that day. I mean, it was all out there. But now, I mean, you type in 9-11 truth, all it is is mainstream media, at least out on YouTube. It's even hard to find our own videos. They're trying to do everything that they can to disappear us from there. That's why it's important to get our videos right from our channel and, and send them out to all your uh, friends out there. I'm saying this to the audience because we're fighting algorithms that are trying to just uh, pretend that we don't exist and maybe we need to get on other platforms. I've been getting recommendations from supporters about them. Uh, but here it is. Yeah, no, I mean, the, the scenario that activists have been warning about for years is happening now here on the Internet. That's why we got to fight it. But something that I noticed uh, when you did an interview with BBC Radio Sussex, uh, this is regarding the inquest that Matt Campbell is pursuing, uh, the lady seemed nice enough, the lady interviewing you. However, she started to refer to this whole issue as a conspiracy theory. And you zeroed in on that, and you gave a very, uh, very good, eloquent, uh, you know, thought. You shared your thoughts on it, uh, but what you think of that term? So I'd like you to just elaborate for our audience about the term conspiracy theory and how that's been weaponized to try to just make uh, this whole issue marginalized and and sweep it to the back burner. Well, it, I, 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 I'm probably. You're, a lot of the viewers, you know, know that 
um, the the term conspiracy theory was basically weaponized by the CIA. Once again, we get back to the CIA. I'm afraid, sorry to be boring, but their hand is in a lot of these issues. Um, there's a memo dating from the Kennedy assassination, which says basically we've got a big problem here. Nobody believes us, especially not outside America. Um, and this was sent out to all the CIA station chiefs, um, and it said, well. What we've got to do is to discredit these people. And um, I can't remember quite why they chose the particular phrase conspiracy theory. Um, but they said, you know, basically, we need to use all our contacts in the foreign media, of course, which they'd have. And that's another issue that people need to know about the media is that, you know, they're very heavily infiltrated, directly infiltrated, not only through the owners and the editors being very conformist people, but also because there are agents, you know, I'm afraid to put it like that, but there are people who just basically report um, back um, in, 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 you know, and so anyway, the CIA, and, and once the CIA wrote that memo, you know, it started popping up, the phrase started popping up all over the place. Um, and prior to that, it hadn't really appeared, you know, newspaper searches show very little use of the term conspiracy theory up to about 1964. And then it starts to really boom. And it, it's just a sort of cheap shorthand, really, because it can include anything. You know, it can include people who you or I would think are pretty balmy, you know, right up to people who are just very sensibly pointing out things which they know. Um, I mean, I remember there was an Egyptian commentator a uh, very famous guy, uh, once again, I'm afraid of his name slips my mind. Uh, he, he writes for Al-Ahram in, um, in, in Cairo, as he did then. And he said straight away, he said, we all know in the Middle East that Al-Qaeda is thoroughly infiltrated by uh, the Western intelligence agencies, and in particular the CIA and the Egyptians, I think he said. The idea that they could carry this off without anybody knowing they were planning it or about to do it is utterly ridiculous. Um, and so, you know, that's what they were up against. They, they, and of course, they never have persuaded the world uh, outside the NATO countries where the media are controlled. But, you know, the rest of the world, opinion polls show, even opinion polls conducted by the US agencies, show that there's a massive amount of skepticism about 9 11. Um, you know, a lot of people just assume it was an inside job. A lot of people think Israel were behind it. Um, because, you know, in the Middle East, it seems that Israel is behind a lot. Um, I personally think that they, Israel wouldn't dare do something like that um, without getting uh, prior approval, you know, from the American government. Why would they? They'd be risking everything. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's, there's a struggle going on. It's a, it's a battle of information. And fortunately, you know, due to the Internet, it is, it's difficult for them to close us down as, as they used to be able to do, you know, when, when it was just the printed word. Um, so, yeah, you know, uh, conspiracy theory, it is really just a smear. It's a shorthand uh, for saying we don't want to know about that. Um, and it means nothing. It, it just means nothing. And it's only, you know, because journalists, they know they're short of space. They don't usually put in things that mean nothing. Um, but but so when you see that happening, you know you you it's 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 obvious when you think about it that it's a meaningless phrase. Um, 
you know, the life's full of conspiracies. You know, con politics is one big conspiracy from day, you know, beginning to end. The House of Commons here in, in England, I'm sure it's the same in Capitol Hill. It's endless sort of shenanigans, collusions, money, you know, promises of campaign funds. We don't have so much of that in the UK because it's properly controlled how much money you can give, you know, into politics. But, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's the world we live in. And until fundamental changes happen, you know, to the way the media are run um, and to the, the way money buys, we've got this terrible feedback that goes from money to politics to government grants and then back to the money men. Um, and, you know, you've got this massive, massive, you know, money printing machine um, I don't know if we're getting a bit off subject here. Please interrupt me, Andy, if you want to. Um, but we've got this massive money pr printing machine, which presumably can't go on forever. Um, but that money is used to buy power and influence all over the world. And, and, it's, and it goes out in subsidies. I mean, you know, people who are calling for action about climate change, you know, they, they can point out that... Um, uh, if, if only the subsidies were stopped to the fossil fuel industry, they'd live on government, you know, handouts, actually, for their research and development. You know, that, that it's the same with the nuclear industry. You know, that, that they're run on, that, that it's social, you know, it's socialism for the rich and capitalism for the poor. You know, that, that's, that's how the system works. And nobody, no individual politician can do that much about it um, because they're running up against the status quo there's too many vested interests and i personally think that we'd all be better off just establishing an alternative culture you know with our own newspapers our own news channels well we are of course but there needs to be a bit more cooperation i think between all the different factions i believe very much in the theory of the 99 percent against the one percent um, and, you know, unfortunately, the 99% is split lately, you know, as we know, into, you know, the two big parties and their followers who seem to be intent on almost on civil war. Um, but that's what it looks like from here, you know, but we're a long way away. Let's hope I'm wrong. Well, there is absolutely intrigue in politics. The whole history of politics, going back to the times of... Uh, ancient even before christ i mean there's intrigue going on kings trying to stay in power i mean it's the whole nature of the game and of course people who have a lot of power or a lot of money and want to make more of it are going to take measures to try to protect that power or make more money there's very bad people that come up in history and we read about them and we acknowledge them and we watch movies about them. But then when it comes to modern day yeah. events, I don't know, the media wants to portray this image like it all just stopped. Now suddenly yeah. governments are right up front and they are telling you the truth. So if you are on board with us, like for instance, here at AE911 Truth and you agree it was a controlled demolition, I mean, think about the magnitude of this kind of operation, what they pulled off on that day. Um, I mean, that they takes a lot of boxy from whoever planned this. Of course, there's going to be an entire network of people trying to keep the truth from coming out. And it's not just the corporate media. I mean, it has to deal with shady characters out there trying to cause division, trying to cause problems. Uh, trust me, I could, I could write a book on it. Maybe I will someday. 
but uh, you know those those people and those networks are going to be in place to keep this protected because I mean if the truth came out today or even if it came out 10 years from now I'm on here on free fall with my hair's graying and it finally comes out it would have a huge effect I mean think about all the people that died on that day but think about all the yeah. people that are dying now as a result of the toxins that were in the air from the buildings coming yeah. down that's why our issue is still so relevant because there are people who uh for them 9-11 is happening a little bit each day every time they struggle to breathe yeah right? and that is a consequence of the towers coming down and since we cover how the towers come down that's yeah. why controlled demolition is so important why getting this evidence out to as many people as possible is so important um so i agree with you there and you know in terms of the 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 phrase conspiracy theory it's getting to a point and i've said this before on this show where if you smell gas and you want to call the gas company uh to make sure there's not a gas leak they're going to call you a conspiracy theorist i mean reasonable questions even if they end up being wrong in the end on something you know asking any reasonable questions about any major events is immediately dismissed because they don't want to be questioned. Uh, I believe in absolute transparency and that's how you avoid people uh, having quote unquote conspiracy theories. And of course, NIST, which is what we tango with, was not transparent. Our federal government was not transparent in a lot of things in its World Trade Center investigations. Uh, now we're having to take them to court. It's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that we're still here having to be on this issue all these years later. But I think that when we do this, we remind people that we never got our questions answered. We never got the truth about this event. And it makes them more skeptical of other things too, which yeah. some people think is bad. I think it's very good. I think that- Well, my yeah, editor, the guy who decided, leaks, the guy who persuaded- leaks, But I mean, yeah. the people that are above them, the people that uh, have so much control over our daily lives. <clears throat> now, you were in the unspeakable. I want you to talk about that. And it's great to be able to watch characters like you in this film and see sort of what their lives are like. Like, I didn't know that you had a, a coffee house of your own. It's probably a pretty mm -hmm. cool place where you can talk about these kinds of issues openly. And I imagine there's probably a lot of people attracted to it who congregate and, and do this uh, kind of just do these kinds of discussions at it. You can tell me more about it. Um, and how did you get involved with Matt Campbell in the first place? Uh, well, just through, you know, he turned up at one of our meetings and like reinvestigate 9-11 meeting. And <clears throat> of course, I immediately realized how, how important he was, uh, because all the times we'd approached MPs, members of parliament and the media, they always would say, well, we need a victim. You know, we need a person to uh, symbolize what you're saying. Um, are, are there any victims, any UK victims who you can get? Uh, and we couldn't, you know, we could, we, we had trouble even trying to find out who they, who they were, the people who'd lost relatives. And then Matt showed up at a meeting of, I think it was the sort of late 20, 2000s and maybe about 2008 or something. Um, and I, and I've, you know, made it my job to sort of give him what support I can ever since. He's much more valuable to the movement than I am, um, for instance. So, yeah, uh, th that, that's that's when I first met him, um, and he, you know, he's a very brave guy and uh, tenacious. And I think it is worth plugging on about it uh, because I, I remember my editor said he said, "Well, look, Ian, uh, 
he said he had two things to say when he commissioned our book. He said, I don't know for sure if you're right or not. But what I do know is that if there are no if there's no questioning of this, if this if the official story is true, but nobody questions it, then next time they'll know that they can get away with it. Uh, so it's important just for that reason to make trouble over it. And particularly now, you know, because if take, for instance, in Syria, where they came out with what looks like a pack of lies to me about how President Assad was using chemical weapons, which I couldn't, I can't see why he would, you know, I'm not saying he's a nice guy or a nasty guy for that matter, but can't see why he would. So, you know, there's another case of likely government lies used in the aid of the empire, if you like. And I think, you know, people think of the last time, I think a lot of people in 9-11 in the early days, they thought about the Kennedy assassination. They thought, well, you know, we've always had our doubts and now here they come again with an unlikely looking story. Um, so yeah, I think it builds up over time. Um, and of course I was thinking when you're telling us about the history, how it goes back, you know, way back to the ancient Greeks. Let's remember that they had a way of finding out uh, and they said, who benefits? Um, they said, if you want to find out who was behind something, ask who benefits. And of course, it was very obvious from very early on that the main beneficiaries of 9-11, well, maybe Al-Qaeda, you know, but certainly it was going to be the Pentagon and the CIA. And sure enough, you know, we found out later, the CIA, I think they had a $14 billion increase in their budget in the first week after 9-11, something like that. Um, so, you know, once again, you get back to the sort of the usual suspects. Correct. And there is a lot to look into about September 11th, because here at AE 9-11 Truth, we just focus on the controlled demolition evidence. We represent architects and engineers, and that is their area of expertise. And we just focus on what happened. You know, I don't even say that we raise questions. Uh, maybe we were raising questions back in 2008 or something. But to me, the case has been made. It was a controlled demolition, no matter how much, you know, the debunkers and NIST and everything try to obfuscate the facts and uh, try to refute the evidence, they can't. Not to my satisfaction and not to most people's satisfaction either. I mean, most people at this point, I think the climate has changed regarding this issue. It used to be that people would get, get hostile, they'd have emotional reactions when you brought up these issues. And now a lot of them have sort of kind of come to the conclusion that uh, were right. But then the attitude is, what can you do about it? And you know, it sort of reminds me when I was in the Peace Corps, the country that I was in had a, a, a bad, brutal dictatorship over it. And at a certain point, people just decided in their minds that they would make jokes about it. You know, when something, something didn't uh, work out, some infrastructure fell apart, they'd be like, oh yeah, well, that's just the way it is. And they'd have a big laugh. And in a way, that's a good way of coping, having a sense of humor about things. However, it also signals uh, that <clears throat> people have become apathetic to a certain extent as well. When it becomes a joke, it's like uh, you've accepted it to a certain point. So yeah. I, I kind of look at it as, as good for the individual, but bad for the society. And I don't think we make jokes about it here in the society, but people have this idea in their heads you know, okay, yeah, you're right. It probably was a controlled demolition, but what are you going to do about that? You know, what can I do? I'm just a housewife in Peoria. What can I do? I'm just a, a, a fry cook at Burger King, you know? Um, and they just kind of don't let it burden their lives. Now, 
the good thing is that we do have people like yourself, uh, like the people here at AE, like all of the great activists that watch this show who have decided they're not going to have that attitude and they give a little bit of effort every single day towards raising awareness about this issue. But what do we do to overcome that sort of apathy? You know, that idea that, yeah, it probably was a controlled demolition, but there's nothing you can do about it. The, the system is all powerful and there's no way that we can uh, turn the tide. Well, you know, uh, it's, it's one step at a time, isn't it? The longest journey starts with just one step. And I think that's right. Um, I never thought that the system would admit to 9-11, except if it became under intense pressure. Uh, so I've always seen it as a sort of, you know, a building block. Um, and, you know, if, for instance, the, the money printing system collapses, you know, people start thinking, well, we can't really afford to give the Pentagon all this money any longer. So how are we going to justify cutting their budget? And so at that point, you know, it, it could be quite useful to, to even the people in power to uh, to, to bring up 9-11. Um, you know, I think, I think it's difficult to predict the future, um, but I don't think we're doing ourselves any harm. In, in terms of activism, I think... I, I always say to people, don't pester people with it. You know, what I do is I just mention to, to people that I happen to think that. If they want to ask me questions about it, I'm very happy to answer. Um, but I'm not going to change their mind in, in the space of a short conversation. Um, but And then if I go to, again and again, you know, they're going to start thinking, well, he's an obsessive. Um so what I advise people to do is just to say it once to their, their closest friends. And if, if they respect you, they're not going to make life difficult for you. If you keep on going on about it and they don't think you're right, you've got a bit of a problem. Um, so it's better to go around, you know, doing something else. I think, you know, giving out leaflets. I, I think a really well-created leaflet can be a very, very powerful tool. Um, and, you know, people keep them. Uh, we, we give them away outside the BBC every September. And you'd be amazed. Um, you, there's two types of people in the BBC. You know, there's the party line political ones, you know, from the news department and the politics department. And then there's all the rest, you know, the sport, the environment, music. And those other people in the BBC, they're right on side. They all pick our leaflets up. So, you know, it, it's not going to be direct, but we're helping to create an atmosphere in the BBC where the news people are sort of somewhat sneered at by the rest of them. They can't do anything about it for now, but they can slip in little things. Um, you'd be surprised what they can do. I remember I published a magazine once and suddenly that magazine, hardly anybody ever bought it, but suddenly it ended up on the TV programme in a news agents. Um, you know, and that was somebody on the inside. You know, you have to have confidence that there are people on the inside who've... Um, who are on side with us, but they just can't do a lot about it in the short term. But they can rise to the top and then they can do things. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I think it's it's all worthwhile, but I, I don't think pestering friends to agree with you is, for me, that's not the best way forward. Um, the, the, my friends know what I think. They know that I published a book on the subject. They know that I'll be able to out-argue them. Um, just because of by dint of the fact that I've studied it in so much depth. Um, 
So, you know, I think we have to look at things. We've got to retain the capacity to look at things as, as somebody would who's inclined to believe the official story about things, you know, and, and, and they're scared, you know. People look on, people actually believe it or not. I mean, I can hardly believe this, but they see the state as sort of like defending them from, I don't know whether it's foreign threats or illness or, or, or criminals ne next door, uh, but people one way or another, they do see the state as, as protecting them. And they don't really believe that there are any nasty evil people siphoning money out of the system, lining their own pockets and brainwashing us all. They don't know any of that. So of course it's very frightening when they're confronted with the evidence that that is the situation. Um, I have to say though, I think, you know, you can't get too pessimistic. I think there's a lot of people in government who who do want to be in government because they want to help, you know. Um, and, and it is more in the military industrial complex that the problem lies uh, rather than just in, in the government as a whole, I think. That's my view. That's right. I mean, our job is to win people over. And if someone's just going to close their mind to it, then badgering them is the wrong way to go. I mean, what I find is that we got to change the culture around here and just openly state that this is what you think. If you're out there and you're in the 9-11 truth movement and you feel like you're banging your head against the wall and you're burnt out talking to other people, then just go on and live your life, your life, but don't keep it a secret that this is what you think. And really, it's just attitude. Attitude is so important in everything and people because see the other thing you're we, by it yeah. that you're not you're not damaged by their insults that it has no effect on you and just don't let it i mean yeah. you, you can't take it personally because no. this is just a psychological reaction that people have you've also got a system that is trying to insert these folks out into the the activist circles uh, to, to raise doubts about evidence and such. And you just can't take it personally. Be bulletproof yeah. in it and stand firm in it and then live your life. If you need a break from activism, take it for a while and come back when you're, you know, when you're uh, fully recharged again. But yeah. really, well, attitude well, is everything. And yeah. if they see enough people basically standing by this evidence for in, in, in the case of AE 911 truth, um, then more people will come on and, and join and have the same attitude. And it will reflect in the culture in certain ways. I mean, I'm starting to see on TV shows the, the notion of false flags mm. uh, being introduced into the fiction and, and whatnot. And then eventually over time, you're going to, I mean, these kids who watch these shows and listen to the music and all that, they're going to grow up and they're going to be the next politicians. And they're going to have to deal with this as more and more people wake up to it. That's how you can yeah. have a slow effect on the society. There's other ways to have a faster effect. <clears throat> that means getting involved and doing some work, which we're happy to have you do if you come to AE 9-11 Truth. Now, <clears throat> I want you, because you are doing something, you've been constantly doing something uh, with, with your uh, activism, and now you're working with Matt Campbell. And I want to get back to Matt Campbell <clears throat> before the show ends today. Um, in the unspeakable, you said that uh, the key would be the remains of his brother, Jeff. Matt Campbell actually says this in the film, and uh, he says that the remains of his brother would be very important or something to that effect. I don't have the direct quote, but he says that came from you. Can you elaborate on that for our audience? Yeah. Um, well, I think a impo very important person here is Cyril Wecht. 
I'm not quite sure how you spell his name, but he's a forensic pathologist. And just recently, um, I think it was you who had him saying, you know, from the bodies that we've discovered, it must have been an explosion. You can't, you can't get it. They were not crushed. They were, they were blown, blown apart. And the front of the, I mean, I'm sorry to go into this detail, but the, the, you know, the front of them was completely destroyed, whereas the back of them was more or less untouched. And this was, I think, Matt's point um, is that his his brother, he was in an explosion. You know, the forensics show that he was in an explosion and that he wasn't crushed. Um, so, you know, I think that's really important that we've got that guy. I, I gather he's a very, very eminent pathologist, forensic pathologist. He's getting a bit older now, but then, you know, um, th that doesn't matter. Um, so I, th I think that's very important. Another thing that I, I would like to emphasise, which I have noticed, there's a book by, uh, you've probably had him on, Ray McGuinness. He's written a very good, very, very, very well-researched book with lots of extra sources and uh, information which I wasn't aware of. And it's much clearer than I'd realised that there were bombs. Bombs went off in the basement at the point that the planes hit the towers. Um, that seems to now be... I mean, you guys know more than I do about this, but that strikes me as damning evidence. Um, and somebody I know who's an expert on this, he said, well, look, you know, even five or six seconds is very significant because planes work by universal standard time, which is all synchronized down to the last millisecond. So if they say they hit the towers at 8.54 and 20 seconds, they mean that they don't mean might have been 21 seconds or 19 seconds um so you know um i think there's quite a lot of uh potential there um i mean you've got william rodriguez i mean i haven't seen william for years now i don't know what he's up to but he was there in the basement and there were explosions and he was welcome in the white house up until he said there were explosions in the basement and of course he wasn't welcome after there's a picture of him with hillary clinton um in the white house in the bush white house um so you know i, I think th there's no doubt about it that that the problem is that the, the the establishment you know it's controlled by the establishment down you know the establishment influenced the leading architects the leading article architects influenced the the magazines and so you get groupthink you know which is a really important element of what we're up against uh, it's people just want to think what all their friends think, uh, their peer group, as we say in sociology. Um, and, you know, that group think was what the Senate, US Senate, said was the cause of the lies in Iraq, why everybody believed there were weapons of mass destruction in Iraq when there weren't. I mean, of course, everybody didn't believe it. I didn't believe it. I don't suppose you did. But a lot of people did, and the media thought there were, even though they sort of weren't sure um, but they started speaking about them as if they were a certainty. And just to get back to activism, you know, it's, I think it's well worth reminding people that, you know, we went, they invaded Iraq. They could only have invaded Iraq with 9-11 to get people upset and, and, and you know, ready to have a war. Um, and they lied about it. They lied about the weapons of mass destruction. So, you know, if you look at 9-11 the anthrax attacks, the lies about Iraq, 
um, which depended on 9-11 because they were trying to say that Saddam Hussein was a friend of Al-Qaeda, which he wasn't. Um, even the CIA admitted that. Um, so, you know, there's a sort of, it's not just the one thing. I mean, and the thing about Iraq is that everybody now admits, I think, I believe in America this isn't the case, but, but in the rest of the world, everybody including the media including everybody recognizes that they were we were lied to and we invaded a foreign country based not even on the slightest uh goodwill but purely based on lies um and that went on for years and years and years we could have pulled out again we could have got rid of saddam hussein and pulled out of iraq but we didn't um we stayed there because we, we lied our way in we stayed there as long as we could and that, those lies were, were not exposed until afterwards. I think thanks to that brave general who got up, I remember that press conference, he got up and said, well, actually, there is no evidence of any nuclear uh, devices in Iraq. And I, I thought he was probably going to be assassinated, actually. Um, but anyway, that was, that was something that went wrong for them. Um, I, maybe they were going to plant them and something went wrong with that. I don't know. Yeah, there's a lot of things that come out long after we can actually do something about it. That's the unfortunate thing. It's like it becomes safer to talk about events after they happen 20, 30 years later. But the people who hit the barbed wire, like yourself, like I said, I mean, that, that takes a lot of courage back in those days. You remember what it was like back then? I mean, especially, I mean, here in the United States, I mean, you question anything about September 11th. You say anything that goes against... Uh, U.S. government or patriotism, freedom, all that stuff that was being shoved down our throats in the football games and all the commercials and all that. I mean, people were ready to pounce on you. So, I mean, to be able to speak out and say, hey, look, I think there were bombs in the towers and we're being lied to. I think there's other elements at play in here. That takes a lot of bravery to do that. And so inspired the later people and that's why we're having so much upheaval now and some people say it's bad i think it's good i think it's all part of growth yeah well I, you know i i don't I, I didn't really think i was being brave um i i i was financially independent that was the key thing was that i was financially independent with my coffee shop and you know if i'd been a freelance journalist i couldn't have done it you know my career would have been dead um i wouldn't you know even suggesting something would have killed your career um and i knew that that's why i went into becoming financially independent because i realized that uh it's hopeless trying to be a um a journalist in the system you unless you just see yourself as a long-term sleeper and i didn't fancy doing 20 years of reporting bullshit excuse me uh reporting you know uh i thought it would be easier just to get a job you know and an income uh and so, and it's sort of 9-11 was sort of an opportunity, really, in a way. Um, and, uh, and you know, I never felt under any physical sort of threat. Uh, it's, Britain's a pretty peaceful sort of country, you know, and I didn't worry that somebody was going to blow me away and say I committed suicide, which is what seems to happen to dissidents, some dissidents in America, like that poor guy, Philip Marshall. Um, so... Uh, I felt also, because I came from a privileged background, you know, I was at a, a leading Oxford college. And in fact, you know, somebody a couple of years from me was involved, I better not name him, um, you know, in the British intelligence sort of establishment. And they don't like killing their own, 
you know, they might, if I'd been Irish, if I'd been an Irish Republican, you're working class, yeah, you know, then, then you, but you know, they, it's bad for morale if they're having to go around <laughs> killing their own, you know. Um, and so I never really did feel that I was running any risks, to be honest. Well, it is important to be in, independent from uh, what you're trying to do. And, and let me try to explain that a little bit better. I mean, some people can be financially independent. Some people have their own businesses and they have more freedom to speak out. But I honestly say, you know, if you want to be a journalist, don't be a journalist. Yeah. Do it on the side. You know, go get a job yeah. cleaning floors or something and then do your work at night. I mean, you yeah. know, uh, Superman's not a professional superhero. He's a reporter for uh, a newspaper in the comics, right? Um, yeah. You know, a lot of times the people, what they are known for has nothing to do with what their occupation is. I mean, Ben Franklin was a printer and an inventor. Yeah. Uh, but we all remember him as a founding father. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember my history here. I think that George Washington was a landscaper. That's how he made his money. <clears throat> and a oh, farmer. Really? He wasn't Fun, like a, a career politician or anything like that. He just kind of fell into that situation because of the revolution and everything. So your your job has nothing to do with who you are as a person and what you contribute to this world. It's just how you make money. And that's how you have to go about the world and think. Try to make yourself as independent from the system as possible. I don't even have cable anymore in my house. I get all my news from trusted sources on the internet and I play classic music while I read it. And uh, it's sort of like the 1800s around here with internet. So, uh, and I, I think I'm better off for it. I think other people ought to consider you know, cutting the cord and not paying attention to the mouthpieces on TV anymore. Ian, it's been fascinating getting to know you today, and I got to have you on the show again because I feel like we could talk for hours. But uh, thank you for all of your work over the years, and thank you so much for coming on 9-11 Freefall today. Thank you very much for having me on. It's been a pleasure. All right, ladies and gentlemen, so that concludes another show. I'm not going to be a broken record here, but if you have any suggestions on making the show better, Please send them in at 911freefall.com. I also like to hear good things if you like the show. Send that positive feedback as well. But thank you so much for tuning in this week, and I'll see you next week. Goodbye. This program is on every Thursday night on No Lies Radio at 10 o'clock Eastern, 7 o'clock Pacific, and every other Sunday night on BBS Radio at 8 o'clock Eastern, 5 o'clock Pacific. You can also keep track of the archives by going to 911freefall.com. Z Steel, say great week, good luck.